This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Today we're talking with Matt Regner, who is the Director of Liturgy and Evangelization at Blessed Sacrament Parish in Madison, Wisconsin, and we're talking still about this concept and topic of evangelization. He wrote a, a wonderful piece in the Church Life Journal over at the University of Notre Dame. That's churchlifejournal.nd.edu. Back about a month ago on June 20th, uh, parishioners don't belong at the parish. Lo and behold, this is a person who works in evangelization at the parish, and so I'm sure that this is going to be an interesting conversation. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's just get straight into it. What is your premise here? Parishioners don't belong at the parish, because I, I worked in parish ministry for a number of years as a director of evangelization, and everyone who's in the business we're always looking for that next program or we're trying to uh, evangelize to bring people to the parish or to a big event that we've got or to try and kind of bring them into that orbit so that they can be a part of the body in this uh, parish-based life. And you're proposing something a little different. So share with us. Yeah. Um, as you may have surmised, the title is meant to be provocative in that way. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that there's, you know, the parish parishioners shouldn't be at the parish. Of course, our goal is to incorporate people into the body and to have them find a robust community where they can worship, where they can grow an authentic friendship, where they can pursue holiness and encourage one another. However, the, the real vocation of the laity is not within the parish walls. They, the parish is the place where we're formed, where we receive the sacraments, where hopefully we can receive some sort of spiritual direction and counsel. But then when you look at some of the documents of the Second Vatican Council, the role of the lay faithful is really to be out in the world, to sanctify the temporal order, which is no small charge for the lay faithful. Um, and I think this it's been particularly apparent since the pandemic, all these different you know surveys and people writing about will they return, disaffiliation, all these things that are happening in the church that we really ought to be concerned with. Uh, but I, I began to notice more and more that the emphasis was on simply getting people to come back. Will they come back? How can we get them to come back? Which, again, is a worthwhile goal. But if we don't know what we're doing after they get back, then we, you know it's, it's a kind of a short-sighted goal to have. Just getting them in the pews isn't sufficient because that then doesn't accomplish the task of forming them for the true lay apostolate to go out and transform the world. So it, it is to, we do want them here. Parishioners belong at the parish insofar as they need to receive the sacraments and grow closer to the Lord in prayer, but their true missionary territory is out in the world, whether at work and their families and their neighborhoods in any, you know, number of places really the, the sky's the limit when it comes to where the lay faithful ought to be. Well, the picture we see even in scripture is that the person who starts as a disciple ends up as an apostle. And of course, we in the Catholic Church, we use the term apostle uh, as the, the bishops are the successors of the apostles. And so we often hear the term thrown around missionary disciple, yep. which is the same thing as, as an, an apostle, at least in the sense that they are sent, right? Yeah. So we have this, this life cycle of being evangelized, being discipled, being formed and then being sent. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I want to sit on this for just a little bit, this question of what do we do with them once they're back in the pew? 
So let's talk about what is, as we're sitting in, uh, in formation, whether that be in a Bible study or in mass or in some catechetical lecture, what is the, the end goal? What are we being formed towards? You mentioned this term, uh, the lay apostolate, Mm -hmm. which a lot of times when we hear the term apostolate, we think of some parachurch organization, right? You're using it in a different way and in the way that the church uses it. So unpack that for us. Yeah, the, it's it's kind of the jargon that is, I think, finding more traction in the church. More people are, are getting familiar with this notion of the lay apostolate, which is really, it's, I mean, I guess in the simplest terms, it's how any individual Christian is called to live out their faith. So it's practicing our faith and living it out in such a way that it's it's apparent to the people around us or it has a real um application in in the world around us in relationships in the workplace it's it's seeking to become conformed to the person of jesus christ through the sacraments through prayer so that we can mediate that presence to the rest of the world um that so in some ways what we're being formed for when we're being formed in the lay apostolate and i I write about this in my articles we're being formed to receive Uh, i think the first anytime anyone talks about evangelization or hears it if they um, you know, don't exactly know what's meant by evangelization. The first thought is I have to go out there and, you know, Bible thumb or proselytize and convince someone that the church is right or that Christianity is, is the belief to hold. Uh, and you know, that, that can be the case. Apologetics is certainly a valuable thing in the church. Um, and being able to make a case for why we believe what we do is important, but, um, at a more basic level, we are first to, receive from the Lord in prayer what it is that he's calling us to individually, that we each have a unique role to play in the church. We each have a unique apostolate. And so as many Christians as there are, so are there that many lay apostolates. And so it isn't a matter of me saying, okay, what do I want to do? There, there is that part of discernment, evaluating what are my gifts? Where do I find joy and peace and satisfaction? Those are important things to consider. But the first place to start is is looking to the primacy of God to receive from him, whatever it is that he would give me on a particular day. And then more broadly over the course of weeks and months, as I discern my lay apostolate and as others do the same. In the document that you quote and from Vatican II, and we're going to read a little bit from that later in the show as well. Uh, but they, they quote that passage in scripture that the spirit gives gifts as the body has need. And so there's this sense of, Uh, we're not all going to have the same expression of the lay apostolate or even the same expression of what it means to be a disciple because there are personality issues, there are uh, giftings, there are uh, propensities that all kind of work into how we live out the faith. Uh, That that We're we're not puppets that God uses or that the Holy Spirit uses. Rather, we are... um, recipients of the Holy Spirit and, and vessels of, of that mission Mm -hmm. out to the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. So as you, as you are in the parish side of things and you're working in a parish to do evangelization, um, a lot of times the way that parishes operate is to have that program to bring as many people in as possible to do large formation events but you're taking in your article here a more personalist approach, mm-hmm. um, a, a more individual approach. Yeah. And so I want to ask, what does that look like to you? And maybe what are some things or organizations or 
uh, models that people can look into and align with that will help them do that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll kind of return to this, but these large programs, they aren't bad. I'm not saying they're bad in and of themselves. I think they, when they're functioning their best, they can serve as a kind of funnel, you know, this big funnel to catch a lot of people, but then ideally you're funneling them toward this one-on-one individualist approach. Um, and so th- this started for us, it was about three years ago. I, I worked as a chemist for 10 years at UW-Madison here in town, and I was part-time at the church until we decided three years ago to partner with an organization here, the Evangelical Catholic, and their whole mission, which so maybe you've heard of them, um, their whole mission really, it's sort of, it's evolved over time, and I've, I've seen that happen in the past three years, but it kind of, in some ways, started as a small group, um, like a small group ministry in a certain sense, getting helping parishes to start Bible studies and things like that. But since then, or in, the, in recent years, they've kind of honed in on developing and unpacking the lay apostolate. And so that means that for some lay faithful, they, a Bible study will be their lay apostolate. And that's a wonderful, wonderful, needed thing. But that's not going to be the case for everyone. As you said, the Spirit gives us gifts that are different. And so not everyone will be gifted in that particular way. And their apostolate might be something as simple as as intentionally reaching out to like a cousin or someone they know is, is, is maybe believing, but not practicing their faith. or was kind of far from the church. And so they may discern that I am going, the Lord is kind of asking me to pray for this person to fast for them and to reach out to them. So, so anyway, that's an example of the lay apostolate can take a variety of forms, but we, we partnered with the evangelical Catholic three years ago and they offer um, this kind of module that helps to form a person at the parish. So I'm, I'm a point person with the evangelical Catholic. So they have some curriculum for me to work through that in some ways it just teaches you how to sort of have your head on a swivel and be on the lookout for people at the parish that you can try to connect with and see where they are in their spiritual journey. And I've had many, many conversations over the past three years that have gone nowhere. I've gotten lunch or coffee with someone, gotten to know them better. And that's worthwhile. That's time well spent as far as I'm concerned, getting to know our parishioners, um, coming to smell like the flock in the words of Pope Francis. Uh, But other times I will have a conversation and I will recognize that someone is deeply hungry for more formation and they want to know how to share their faith and they want to know how to do it in a way that's richer and more substantive than kind of like the Bible thumping or proselytizing that I mentioned earlier. So this program or the curriculum then that we lead these people through, it's usually a group of eight to 12 individual parishioners who spend 12 sessions uh, in a small group with me and and the rest of the group. And we talk about a variety of things, including what is evangelization? What do we mean by that? Uh, What does it mean to intercede? And why do we fast? How do we make sense? Is this a transactional thing? Which it isn't, but why then do we fast? Why do we pray? And, and And then we sort of end with concrete skills for how would you lead a small group? How would you have some of these conversations? So I've, I've led five of those groups now. We have 50 people who've gone through it, which doesn't sound like a lot. Um, but if you think of the potential impact of any one Catholic, faithful Catholic, who's grown in daily prayer and sacraments going out, and even if they're only reaching out to one other person, you're still doubling the number of people you're reaching. But in many cases, it's a small group they're leading, or it's a variety of things that they feel called to. And so it's this grassroots, small um yeah, kind of a grassroots movement of equipping one person at a time to go out and, and reach more. So that's that's what the program is called by the Evangelical Catholic. Um, and, you know, I have to admit the first few times, and even to this day, uh, I'm getting ready to launch another one in September. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And I still, uh, every time I get, I get anxious about who's going to be in this group. And so it, it's always an invitation to the humility and faith for me to say, Lord, if you want me to do this, you have to help me figure out who I'm going to meet. Um, and so he always is responsive. He gives me, he gives me opportunities. And as long as I'm being attentive and am ready to respond when those opportunities arise, um, people continue to, to fill these reach more groups, but it's this, it really has, in, in my experience, it's revealed that interplay between uh, free will and uh, divine initiative, that, that interplay between human will and divine will and how I have a, a role to play and I have to step up when the moment arises. But I also have a, um, thinking back to the gospel from this past weekend, I have to sit at the feet of the Lord and be ready to receive from him and listen for his voice. And when he, when he gives me a little prompting and sort of points me towards someone, I have to take the steps to go outside my comfort zone and, and email them or stop them after mass or, you know, be the weird guy who's going to come up and talk to them. I look at these, the, the large, going back to the large parish events, there's something about being in a crowd. I mean, anyone who's ever gone to a sporting event knows this. There's something about being in a crowd that gives you an extra jolt of energy, but what you can't get in a crowd is vulnerability and intimacy. Exactly. And the Christian life is about us being members of one another, as Paul says. Uh, and so finding that way to be in community in a, in a tender way, in a, in a supportive way, and not just an energetic way is something that, that I, I feel like we have a difficult time really finding and grabbing a hold of. And yet there is this deep longing in each of us to know and to be known uh, in a way that goes beyond seeing someone at mass and coffee and donuts and maybe an extra Bible study every week. Yep. Um, and, and so while Bible studies are easy to easier to implement and because you, you can get someone else's curriculum, you don't have to have people who know a whole lot. You put on the video and, and just go with it. There's something that that isn't met by that. There's a lot that is met by that because we grow in our intellect and we grow in, in community, but there's so much that, that we need as human persons and that we need as members of the community and the body of Christ that we can't get from that kind of event. Uh, so once you have this, this, uh, I think reach more group is what you called it, yeah. where you, you have a number of people, Maybe uh, maybe a, a, an apostolic number, maybe up to twelve, right? Yeah, I don't right. know. Uh, just guessing. Um, you have this group, and they meet together. You mentioned a specific period of time. I'm I'm sure that this is not just a, a self propagating thing, where then the next group goes out and do, does it, and it grows and grows and grows. There is an end towards this. Um, what does it look like in this group to form someone for? the lay apostolate in a way that doesn't look exactly like replicating the group. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't mention, you know, in addition to the, the group meetings that we have once a week, I'm also meeting twice a month with each person for about an hour long one-on-one. Uh, and the EC, the evangelical Catholic, they give you content for those one-on-ones, but um, it's, it really just becomes fodder for spiritual conversation. So you can talk about the sacraments of confession and the Eucharist. You can talk about what, whatever you covered in, in the week before uh, or people will come with things that are on their mind or things that the Lord has been stirring in their hearts during prayer. Uh, and so that becomes an opportunity really for me to just ask questions. And then when I'm not with them, I, I try to be very intentional about praying for them and fasting for them in ways uh, that it, it's it's a bit of a mystery. I'm not expecting, I do this, Lord, and you do that for them. Uh, but it does, I think, and I pray, give me a kind of share in the Lord's own heart for them so that when I'm with them, 
I can be attentive to these movements of the spirit. I can listen to what they're sharing and ask questions that kind of help guide them toward, uh, you know, are there, are there people in your life that you feel that have been on your mind lately? And like, could that be the Lord inviting you to reach out to them in a new way? Uh, or, or do you desire to start something in the parish? Is, is a Bible study what you want to do? Is that what, what God's calling you to? Again, it can take a variety of forms, um, but those one-on-ones are really critical because as it's always really beautiful to see that first meeting, which is a little awkward, you know, people are getting a feel for each other and we're trying to figure out what's this going to be. And then by the end of it, everyone is um, very sad to leave. And we've had this great sense of community because we've grown in intimacy together. But then as a result of those one-on-ones, or as you say, I'm able to more fully know these people and they become comfortable with me than at at the large or at the, the group gatherings, they're more willing to share and be vulnerable with one another as well. And so then after Reachmore finishes, I continue to meet with all of these people who've gone through Reachmore anywhere from once a month to once a quarter. It sort of depends on the person, what they're busy with, how much they need. Um, and some people need less than others, but the goal is to help continue encouraging them. Um, and St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter, oh, I want to say it's 14. I think it's 14.3 where he talks about speaking prophetically to people. He talks about encouraging, consoling, and building up. And I really see my role here at the parish as doing that, as speaking a prophetic word, not not in like predicting the future or something like that, but speaking a word that is guided by and infused with the Holy Spirit to encourage them and support them. Because you go out there and you're trying to live out your lay apostolate, um, and it, it can be hard. You can get knocked around depending on what you're doing. And so to come back to the parish and to receive that kind of, I hope, I, I pray that the Lord is working through me in that way to build them up. Hopefully that then reinvigorates them for whatever mission the Lord has sent them on out in the world. So it's it's ongoing formation. Um, and again, sometimes it will look similar to what we've done as far as a group goes. But in my experience, more often, it's it's much, much more individual um, and, and more unique than that. So I'm intrigued because... the your path on the lay apostolate has kind of gone the opposite direction. You started out um, living out your lay apostolate in, in a secular environs and then were brought in through this formation through, well, through, through a formation Mm -hmm. uh, to this place where now you are helping form others really closely aligned with the ministry of the parish. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and then maybe something about a, a story of someone who, through these groups, came to a fuller understanding of their lay vocation and what that looks like for them now. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I'll share two stories about some people. But first, regarding myself, um, it's interesting. As a lay man, I do still feel drawn to the secular world. And that's right. That is part of the lay vocation, as we, sh- we should feel drawn to the secular world, not, not in the sense of... Um, like the fallen nature, secular kind of thing, but right. but toward the secular world, the, the things of this world that are proper and fitting for for laymen and laywomen. Uh, and so there are times when I think, gosh, it would be easier if I could just go have a normal job and not <laughs> not work for the church. And I may have had that experience too. But uh, I don't I don't feel myself um, at peace with that decision. I still feel that the Lord wants to wants to work through me at the parish. And so when I was at the university, that work was intellectually stimulating and it worked for our family at the time but once i got in involved part-time here at the parish i found myself less and less rewarded and fulfilled by that work and more and more excited by what we were doing here especially as i grew into those relationships and then saw this opportunity with the ec 
that was kind of the, the thing I needed to, to bring me on board. Uh, and then to, at that point, go back for my master's in theology, because to be honest, I was not <laughs> properly credentialed really to work at a parish. And, you know, that's credentials are um, not always the most important thing, but I, I didn't have the formation or the, I guess the education really to be able to serve our parish in that way. So it just little by little became more evident that this is where the Lord wanted me and that he had plans to um, both for my own personal benefit and my family as we've grown in faith together. But then also, uh, again, I pray to work through me for the, the benefit of parishioners here in the broader parish. So the way that's looked for some people in who've gone through Reachmore, I can give an example of one young woman who uh, she did Reachmore, I think it was a year ago. Um, and so it was in the midst of the pandemic, which we're sort of the midst of the pandemic, which presented its own issues. We had some Zoom meetings. I would meet with her not in person for one-on-ones, but over the phone and occasionally in person. So it was it was not a typical or ideal situation, but we continued to meet and connect. Uh, and over the course of these past 12 months, she, she worked as a school teacher here in Madison, and she just recently left her job to go and tour different Catholic worker houses because she has felt this calling to go and be with the poor to find a real sense of solidarity with them and realize that now is kind of the time to seize that moment. So her, her lay apostolate is, you know, it's still kind of in flux and what that looks like is unclear, but she took what to some of us seems like the rather dramatic step of quitting her job, you know, a, a consistent, well-paying job to go out and travel the country and, you know, live out of her car, live in these, I guess, I don't know if they're rundown homes, but, you know, Catholic worker homes that are going to be challenging, but also um, probably very profound and beautiful in many ways. So her, early apostolate has been, um, I, I think, I hope that it's been at least in part thanks to reach more in this, especially this emphasis on helping people grow in daily prayer, because it's only by showing up regularly that we'll attune ourselves to the voice of the Lord and hear, hear his invitation when he does speak. Cause it's not, it's not every day that we're getting that kind of stuff, but as long as we show up and are faithful, we'll, we'll be able to pick up on those things. Um, so then another story of, this is sort of my own, I guess, lay apostolate or how, how this job has helped me to recognize the providence of God in a deeper way. I've, I've always been something of a skeptic, you know, working in the sciences. It's sort of inculcated as part of your education. And so when people would talk about, um, you know, oh, that was clearly providential. That was God's work, God's hand at work. I would always kind of be like, sure, or maybe it was kind of a coincidence, you know, it's correlation versus causation. Exactly. Right. You can play that game and, um, yeah, it's a thing, but I've had, again, because this position has asked of me a certain degree of surrender and faith, I've seen, I mean, I can't, I can't say indisputable evidence, but in my mind, it's been very convincing. So for instance, uh, last fall, I, I, the, our piano and our organ are up in the choir loft. So that, that's the other half of my job. I'm the organist and pianist here on Sundays. And so I, sometimes I'll just be looking down at the people and sort of praying and asking for the Lord to, I guess, put an impression on my heart um, regarding a particular parishioner, if it's someone that he wants me to reach out to or to try to find a way to connect with. And there was this this young man who I'd seen for, for many months coming and I wanted to meet him, but they would always kind of come a little bit late or I don't really like going down before mass starts, but then afterward they'd kind of be out the door right away. And I, I never had a chance to meet him. So, so I, in prayer, I sort of said, Lord, you know, I think you want me to meet this guy. Um, I don't know how to meet him. I, I can't catch him before he's leaving. So if there's something you want me to do for him, please give me a chance to, to connect with him. So <clears throat> I said that prayer maybe a couple of times. And then a few weeks later, I was at Costco with my four kids. So that was a zoo, you know, having yeah. all my, my kids, four kids, 10 and under. 
Uh, they're running up and down the aisles. We're just trying to get out of there alive. Um, and I see this guy and I'm used to seeing people from the back because I'm up in the choir loft. I'm like, that might be, that might be him. And so we kind of, we're walking down the aisle toward each other and I, he looks at me and I look at him and there's kind of that mutual recognition, but not enough for us to really say hi. So we do the head nod and keep going. Well, sure enough, we get to the checkout and I can see him now from the, the normal angle from behind <laughs> and a distance away. And I say, oh shoot, that, that, that's the guy. I missed my chance. And so, you know, that night or the next morning, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't, I didn't, you gave me the opportunity and I kind of missed the boat. So could you, could you please give me another chance? Um, so a few weeks later, I'm, I'm actually meeting, uh, I'm in the midst of a reach more group this past fall. And I, a young man and I are meeting at mass daily mass at six 30 in the morning at a, at a nearby church. So I, um, my wife and I are both avid runners and I decided to run to mass that morning. And so I'm going to be the weird guy in gym shorts and a ratty shirt or whatever going to mass, but I'm running to church and I get just to the kind of the corner where I would turn off to go to church and it's 10 minutes before mass starts. So I think I I can add in another mile. So I I go around the block add another mile and I get to the door around 628, 627. As I'm walking in, that same guy that I had wanted to meet is walking in the front door at the same time. And now it's much more embarrassing because I'm sweaty and I'm wearing gym clothes and it's just this awkward situation. But I think, all right, Lord, this is, this is it. So I, I go up to him and I say, Hey, um, do you go to Blessed Sacrament by any chance? And he, he says yes and introduces himself. Uh, and we exchange contact information. And then from there, I'm able to uh, connect with him. We meet up for an hour long, one on one. I get to know his story and what he's looking for. Um, and the, the remarkable thing is, I don't know if he'll go through Reach More or not. But what he needed at that time, he's in law school and he was sort of grappling with, you know, how does God want to use my law degree? I don't, I don't know that I'm in the right place. And a very good friend of mine is a very faithful Catholic attorney here in Madison. And so I connected this young man with my friend uh, and they had a, just a wonderful conversation. And he affirmed, my friend affirmed this young man and his legal uh, studies and kind of helped give him a, a vision for what it can look like to be a Catholic practicing law. So it was just this remarkable uh, experience for me of feeling this kind of pricking of the heart regarding this young man. Um, and then opening myself to to be a vessel of God's grace and mercy in some fashion, not for what I thought was the end. I thought the intended end was for him to reach more and be, you know, stuff, do stuff at the parish, but instead it was to connect him with another person who could help uh, encourage him, support and console him. Again, that prophetic word that I spoke of earlier. This is so important as well, because I think so often we're in the mindset of the prayers that we're asking God to answer. Uh, and, you know, you ask God if, if he would make a way for you to meet with that person, if, if that's what he wanted. And, very often we forget that sometimes we are the answer to someone else's prayer, that as the Holy Spirit gives gifts as the body has needs. And so sometimes those gifts that God gives us are not only generally for the sake of someone else, but in a very specific answer to that person's prayer, really for the other person. We're talking today with Matt Regner, who is the Director of Liturgy and Evangelization at Blessed Sacrament Parish in Madison, Wisconsin. He wrote a piece on Church Life Journal, churchlifejournal.nd.edu, called Parishioners Don't Belong at the Parish. I've got a link to that over on our social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There is so much more to this conversation, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Matt Regner, who's the Director of Liturgy and Evangelization at Blessed Sacrament Parish in Madison, Wisconsin, a Dominican parish. Matt, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for being with us. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. So earlier you mentioned uh, in passing that the lay apostolate is designated towards the sanctification of the temporal order. For those who um, who have not been reading a whole bunch of encyclicals <laughs> lately, yeah. would you would you unpack and break out that phrase right there? What does it mean for us as lay members of the church who also, according to that same document, have a sharing in the the priest, prophet, and king? Uh, we're baptized into that. We're confirmed into that. Um, if that's part of our vocation and we have some share in that, what does it mean for us as lay people living out our vocation, our apostolate, to sanctify the temporal order? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. And, um, you know, I think, uh, trying to gather my thoughts, in, in many ways, I guess it has to do with kind of our ecclesiology, our, our understanding of the church, with all the things that have happened in the past decades with scandal and things we've seen in, in the institutional church, people are understandably disillusioned and disappointed. And so, you know, we've seen steps in the right direction from Pope Francis and others who are trying to help uh, remedy some of the problems we see in the institutional church. But when we look at the scriptures, um, the image of the church is intention. It's, we see it throughout the Old Testament the the unfaithfulness of the church. If you if you happen to read the daily readings for daily mass, the first readings these past couple of weeks have been an indictment of the Jewish people and their unfaithfulness alongside God's mercy and faithfulness. And and the Jewish people try. They're, you know they they try and they fail. And and the same goes for us to this day. We try to be faithful and we succeed in some measure um, with God's grace. But then we also fail. Our fallen nature, our, our fallen human nature, and our, our propensity towards sin. Um, brings us back down at times. And so on the one hand, there's this institutional church and that reality that we live in, but we hold that alongside the beautiful image of the church at the end of the book of Revelation and other places throughout the scriptures and in Hosea and Isaiah as this um, spotless bride uh, adorned for Christ the bridegroom. And so that's that's the eschatological, the final vision of the church purified and made holy, sanctified um, and without blemish. And of course, that's through through the sacrifice of Jesus, through his redeeming work. Um, but then we, as members of his body, continue that work and we um, we strive toward that end of the perfected bride. So to sanctify the temporal order is, to whatever extent we are able to, to bring the church right now, as we experience it in the present day, closer toward that image of the spotless bride. Of, co- of course, principally through in and through Jesus Christ, as we become conformed to him, as we become uh, alter Christus ourself, other Christ, little Christ, by virtue of our baptism and the sacraments. And so that um, that's the role, that's our role. It, and it, it comes to other other you know passages in the scriptures, like in John 15, was not I who chose you, or it was not you who chose me, rather, but I who chose you to go forth. And so it's this recognition that we have a role to play, but it all hinges on our connection with Jesus. And that whatever work we accomplish is thanks to his grace and his Holy Spirit. So to whatever extent we're able to bring uh, the church closer to that image of the spotless bride, I think that is our our role in renewing the temporal order. 
I like this word that you use and, and the church uses it a lot in, in speaking of vocations in relation to Christ, that, that we are conformed to Christ. And we see that when the church talks about priests who are conformed, uh, deacons are conformed to Christ the servant as yep. opposed to Christ the, the, the priest, prophet, and king. Uh, but all of us through our baptisms are also being conformed to Christ and priest, prophet, and king in our own participation. But I like this word conformed because it 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 is a, um, I, I picture a mold, right? That, that you've got some some clay or some kind of pliable thing that is pushed into the mold until it it looks the same as the mold. Um, that that we have to to be pliable enough with our rough edges to allow ourselves to be pressed into this mold, which may be sometimes uncomfortable. Yeah. But in the end, we come out looking like the thing that we were molded into, that we were conformed into. Uh, and so for us to recognize that in this discipleship process, in this formation process, it's not just about us going out and proclaiming the gospel and, as you mentioned, thumping the Bible or pointing the finger and telling the other person what they need to do to come into relationship with God. It's also our own recognition of how can I be more conformed into this picture of Christ and in that process, and sometimes through that process, we're also bringing the world closer and helping the whole world be restored to the, the the sanctified temporal order. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's sort of what you're alluding to or, or another facet of this is the, when I first discovered it, it was just extraordinary. Second Peter um, one, four, where it talks about becoming partakers of the divine nature. I think that's been lost largely. Uh, it's being rediscovered right now, but when you talk to many people, even those who are faithful, practicing Catholics, they see Catholicism more through the lens of moralism, like uh, kind of like the WWJD bracelets, if you remember those right. in the 90s or whatever. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, there's some, they're not bad. I, I, don't, I don't love those bracelets because they suggest a kind of moralism. It's, you know, it's I have to do the right thing and say the right thing rather than the profound and um, inexpressible beauty of becoming a partaker of the divine nature that we are to become by grace who Christ is by nature. That's a remarkable gift and promise uh, from the Lord. But as you say, it's a painful thing. It's um, because it involves surrendering our own ego, our own conception of who we are and who we ought to be. So to become priest, prophet, and king is to let ourselves be molded in that way um, to become more like Jesus, which in the end is all about offering ourselves. And so that that's the other kind of part, or another example of the apostolate, I guess, is people think, uh, oh, you know, I'm just investing time in my family. And that's sort of seen as not an example of an apostolate, uh, but it is, I mean, depending on how we do it and what kind of intention we bring to it, if we are really seeking to offer ourselves to our children, to our spouses, I mean, what better school of love is there? What's better, what better school of self gift is there? And insofar as we seek to do that for our family, it capacitates us. It makes us able to do that more in other relationships than as well, as we get to a point in life where our kids are older and we have more to give of ourselves to the people around us. Um, because that's principally what it involves, is giving ourselves to others. It's the relationships that matter. We see that in, in the example of Jesus' own life, where he was giving himself to people all the time. It wasn't 
a movement or a cause, it was a particular person at a particular moment, whether the woman at the well or Zacchaeus or any number of people. He, he gave himself to them and ultimately himself to all of humanity. And so for us to fully grow in conformity to him is to make of ourselves a gift in that same manner, which we need grace to do and, and we need to practice it. So I want to jump back to your your past and your history as a skeptic sure. and, and and bring it into maybe a different light. Because I think that as disciples being formed for the apostolate, we have to engage in that skepticism, but not externally. Mm-hmm. I think we have to turn that skepticism in. Do I really know what I know mm-hmm. or do I have some uh, some preconceived notions or assumptions or even unconscious biases that I am employing that make me think that things are a certain way when perhaps they are not. And I need to test those assumptions against the light of Christ. Yes. No, I think that's absolutely the case. So what would that look like? What does that look like? Great. Um, So as you're talking, the things that, uh, that came to mind for me, so I've been since finishing my degree in theology, I've had more time to read. And I think really excellent literature is an invitation or it's an exploration of what that can look like. So for instance, I just finished reading The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene. I'm not sure if if you're familiar with it. Uh, And in that book, you see this priest grappling with his own sin, his own failings, alongside the remarkable gift of being a priest and having been called to, to give God to other people through the sacrament of the Eucharistic confession. And so it, it is this, for him, this exploration of, you know, what, what does it actually mean to live a life of devotion? Is it simply, uh, he kind of uses as an example, this woman who in confession is talking about, oh, I cut evening prayers short. And it's sort of what he sees as a superficial confession rather than looking more closely at her heart and evaluating that tendency that we all have toward good and evil. Like, do I really, am I really as faithful as I think I am? Am I following the Lord wholeheartedly or am I withholding something? Am I hiding behind externals when my heart remains to be purified? Uh, and that's, that's an uncomfortable place to stand in, but it kind of harkens back to that great line of Solzhenitsyn that the line dividing good and evil runs, runs through every human heart that we all have that tendency. So what does that look like? Um, I don't know. A real, honest examination of heart and conscience is, I think, a good place to start, certainly, and surrounding yourself with a community of people who won't um, give you a pass, but who will challenge you. I think, you know, think of the proverb that iron sharpens iron. We need other people. We need community to call us out and to help us to understand our own hearts, because quite often we, we can't. And the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17 talks about how, or he has this, you know, prophecy from the Lord that more tortuous than anything is the human heart beyond remedy who can understand it. I, the Lord alone, probe the heart and test the mind. And so I think with friends who are also pursuing holiness and in union with Christ through an honest and regular examination of conscience, I think I think that is how we test those assumptions and, and bring, um, bring ourselves into that place of discomfort as we look at our hearts and, and invite the Lord to purify us and bring us into greater conformity with him. So along those, the, along that same trajectory of testing our assumptions, I, I see an assumption many people make, and typically the people who make it are the people who don't meet this metric. This assumption that that the uh, the holier you are, the more time you spend at the parish, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, those 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 holy people, 
They're the ones who are always at the church. They're at every daily mass. They're at all of the extra events. I could never be that holy. Uh, and yet one of the things that you're talking about is that discipleship and, and the pursuit of holiness eventually leads us away from the parish. Not, not totally, but that, uh, that our, that our expression of the apostolate often lies in the temporal order outside of the parish. So as you're talking about this pursuit of holiness, just as we come to a close today, would you uh, expound for us on the idea of what holiness looks like outside of this extreme version that we have often built up in our heads of piety? Mm, Yeah, that's a great distinction, holiness versus piety. You know, I've, I've asked uh, a good friend of mine, a Benedictine monk, about how you know, how would you define holiness? Because I think you're right. It is one of those words that gets kind of bandied about. And we think we know what it means. and uh, But it's an assumption worth investigating, worth looking at more closely. And so his, his response was to think about the original definition of holy being set apart. So what we're saying is to be holy and to be out in the world is to still be set apart for God and to bring him into everything that we do to um, practice his presence th- throughout the day so that in the course of our work and every conversation, we are inviting his presence into it so that, and, and we, I guess we trust that somehow that is communicated to the people around us. And sometimes that, that will come through in words. We will share something about our weekend or share some kind of word about our faith that, um, you know, it's a direct sharing of our faith, but other times it's, it's through the way that we carry ourselves. It's through our pursuit of excellence not for the sake of climbing the corporate ladder, but because it's good to do good work. It's, it's right that we would pursue excellence and goodness or through the simple goodness of who we are as people, um, giving, being more attentive to the cashier at the checkout line. It's these, I mean, these things sound simple, but that is, that is holiness. It's not, it, we certainly see it in the martyrs and in the saints, these grand displays of, um, yeah, giving up your life of martyrdom, professing faith in Christ in the face of persecution. But you also see it in these daily examples of um, how our heart becomes conformed to the heart of Christ. And we give attention to people and we give them their due and recognize the image of God before us. Um, so that holiness is uh, nourished and cultivated within, within the walls of the parish, again, principally through the sacraments and through spiritual conversation. But then in some ways, the testing ground, the place where the rubber hits the road is out in the world where it's not, we're not, we're no longer surrounded by everyone who believes the same things that we do, the comfort of the parish, but we're out there in foreign territory, sometimes hostile territory. And how do we conduct ourselves there? Are we able to um, act in accordance with the suffering servant? The love that he loved to show patience and goodness, kindness, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Galatians 5. Uh, so I think the world is the testing ground of holiness for the lay faithful. Oh, I like that a lot. Uh, the world is the testing ground of holiness for the lay faithful. That's the pull quote, right? If we had this in a chapter, that would be the one that we we blew up and put it there in the margin and nice, pretty font to catch our attention. And in fact, I think I'm probably going to put that on a post-it note and put it on my wall at work just by way of reminder. I would love to talk more hear about holiness and and dig into that more, but we just don't have time here in the main episode. However, 
each and every week, we do have an extra segment that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. In gratitude for their continued support, we give them continued extra segments. You can learn more about that Patreon support community by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and clicking the, uh, the Patreon link there in the navigation bar. We've been talking today with Matt Regner, who is the Director of Liturgy and Evangelization at Blessed Sacrament Parish in Madison, Wisconsin. Recently wrote a piece, Parishioners Don't Belong at the Parish. It's on Church Life Journal. We've got a link to that over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks so much. If you missed any part of my conversation with Matt, or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of the episodes are archived over there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Now, let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking the fathers and the doctors of the church to the catechism, to magisterial documents, so much more. Biblical commentaries, just a wealth of resources right at your fingertips. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of First Peter, chapter 2. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, insincerity, envy, and all slander, Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, so that through it you may grow into salvation, for you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. And, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in it shall not be put to shame. Therefore, its value is for you who have faith. But for those without faith, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that will make people stumble, and a rock that will make them fall. They stumble by disobeying the word, as is their destiny. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may announce the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That reading comes from the letter of 1 Peter chapter 2. And what most strikes me about this, first of all, there's that early call to holiness that we would desire spiritual milk and put aside all of those things that are in our nature that are not of God, right? Put aside all malice, all deceit, and sincerity. It's, it's a list very similar to what Paul gives us in numerous places, uh, probably the most famous of which being out of Colossians 3. Uh, here is this list of things that are not, uh, they're not supernatural. They're not given to us as a means or, or, or as a part of our sharing in the divine nature. They're not the fruit of the Spirit. They're things we need to divest ourselves of to grow in holiness for a purpose. Here again, he reminds us that we are a chosen race. We're here with that priest, prophet, and king, right? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own. Why? So that 
you may announce the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That is that end result. That's the purpose for being a chosen race. That's the purpose for sharing in that priesthood and being a holy nation. It's not for our own internal benefit. It's for the proclamation of the goodness of God. This is evangelization, right? The, it, we see this in Evangelii Nuntiandi, where Pope Paul VI says that the church's deepest mission, deepest identity, is evangelization for us to, in short, to proclaim, to announce the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Our reading from church history today, we're going to go to a Vatican II document. It's the one that uh, that Matt mentions in his piece, and I'm going to mess up the name and we're just going to roll with it, right? But this is a, a document, it's the Decree on the Apostolate of the Laity, and the, the title is Apostolicum uh, Actuositatum. We're just going to pretend that I said that correctly. And I'm going to read quite a bit out of here today because it is such a beautiful and important piece for us to understand our role as the lay faithful in the body of Christ here in the church. The church was founded for the purpose of spreading the kingdom of Christ throughout the earth for the glory of God the Father, to enable all men to share in his saving redemption, and that through them the whole world might enter into a relationship with Christ. All activity of the mystical body directed to the attainment of this goal is called the apostolate, which the Church carries on in various ways through all her members. For the Christian vocation by its very nature is also a vocation to the apostolate. No part of the structure of a living body is merely passive, but has a share in the functions as well as life of the body. So, too, In the body of Christ, which is the church, the whole body, in keeping with the proper activity of each part, derives its increase from its own internal development. Indeed, the organic union of this body and the structure of the members are so compact that the member who fails to make his proper contribution to the development of the church must be said to be useful neither to, to the church nor to himself. In the church, there is a diversity of ministry, but a oneness of mission. Christ conferred on the apostles and their successors the duty of teaching, sanctifying, and ruling in his name and power. But the laity, likewise, share in the priestly, prophetic, and royal office of Christ, and therefore have their own share in the mission of the whole people of God in the church and in the world. They exercise the apostolate, in fact, by their activity directly to the evangelization and sanctification of men and to the penetrating and perfecting of the temporal order through the spirit of the gospel. In this way, their temporal activity openly bears witness to Christ and promotes the salvation of men. Since the laity, in accordance with their state of life, live in the midst of the world and its concerns— They are called by God to exercise their apostolate in the world like leaven, with the ardor of the Spirit of Christ. The laity derive the right and duty of the apostolate from their union with Christ the head, incorporated into Christ's mystical body through baptism, and strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit through confirmation, they are assigned to the apostolate 
by the Lord himself. They are consecrated for the royal priesthood and the holy people. Not only that, that they may also offer spiritual sacrifices in everything they do, but also that they may witness to Christ throughout the world. The sacraments, however, especially the Most Holy Eucharist, communicate and nourish that charity, which is the soul of the entire apostolate. One engages in the apostolate through the faith, hope, and charity, which the Holy Spirit diffuses in the hearts of all members of the Church. Indeed, by the precept of charity, which is the Lord's greatest commandment, all the faithful are impelled to promote the glory of God through the coming of his kingdom and to obtain eternal life for all men, that they may know the only true God and him whom he sent, Jesus Christ. On all Christians, therefore, is laid the preeminent responsibility of working to make the divine message of salvation known and accepted by all men throughout the world. That reading again comes from a Vatican II document, a decree on the the apostolate of the laity, Apostolicum Actuositatum. And this this document goes on further to talk about that, that line that we mentioned last week, that the role of the laity is for the sanctification of the world. And it uses that terminology, uh, that the, the church, the, the hierarchy, the priests and the bishops, they are there uh, to administer the sacraments for the sanctification of the church. But we, the laity, empowered by those sacraments, we have the role of sanctifying the world. And we do that by being there in the midst of it. I think of um, the church fathers as they talk about the baptism of Jesus, as they say that in Jesus' baptism, it wasn't the waters who sanctified Christ, because, of course, as, as the divine, he needed no sanctification. Rather, by his entering the waters, Christ sanctified the waters. And then in the same way, by us wading into the concerns of life, bringing with us our baptism and our confirmation, empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, we then enter into those waters of our human life and and sanctify the world by our presence in it as we pursue holiness, right? So this goes back to that first part of of the letter that we read out of 1 Peter, right? That rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, insincerity, envy, and slander, and long for the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow into salvation because you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let us pursue that. Let's Ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to us those places, those uh, that going back to that skepticism, show me the places where I'm not what I think I am. Reveal to me my hidden faults so that I may pursue holiness in all that I do, so that, getting to that end of that passage, so that as a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, I may announce the praises of him who called me out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more and consider joining their numbers. Be a part of the ongoing conversation at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.